I think I got two questions. Okay. So one, the story of Samuel um, has always stood out to me. Uh, I'm sorry, Samson. Samson. Um, like years ago, because like when they talked about him being led to desire the women, one, the wife in particular, the rule said, the law said, you don't marry outside. Mm-hmm. And so, but it said that, you know, his parents didn't know that the Lord led him to her for a particular purpose. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is like, there are rules, right? Mm-hmm. There are things that even in the word that may say, don't do this, don't do that. But are there times where, um, as a believer, you may hear something that may be contrary to that or to a, to a societal norm. Like, for example, um, as a woman, like I live in a neighborhood now where I, there are a lot of homeless guys and I'm, I'm getting this burning passion. Like I want to see these people set free mental, like from their mental bondage, but the societal norms say like, I should not be interacting with those men. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so how do you reconcile all of that? Like what you feel like you may be being led to do versus what is normally considered appropriate or even lawful. And I break that up into two parts. Cause start with the Samson thing. Like I said, that story always amazes me, but it's, it's a warning because yes, the spirit of God did lead him. Or God did lead him to marry them women. And the reason was, is because Samson was not in relationship with God. So this was the way that God took the ills of Samson to accomplish the task of God. Samson was a man driven by lust. So God took that lust and aimed it, used it for his own purpose. It really was to the detriment of Samson, but it was to the benefit of Israel in the plan of God. Because what happened? They took his wife. He got mad and he went and whooped the Philistines. He wouldn't have whooped the Philistines unless they took his wife. So God put him in a position to have his wife taken and have him get upset so he can finally do what he should have been doing the whole time. So that's, that's a slight change in the other part. So there are times where we could be hard-headed and resistant, <laughs> but God is still going to accomplish his plans anyway, anyhow. And I heard about this preacher who was talking about he was living in sin and just life all jacked up. But he was praying for people and people were getting healed and delivered and set free. And he's like, he got frustrated one day and finally asked God, like, God, why are you doing this? You know who I am and how I'm living. He said, because I love them. <laughs> so God was fulfilling his task despite the vessel that he used to fulfill it. Now, did that help that man? Nope. That actually drove him further into condemnation because you didn't see more of the power of God than anybody else had. So you have no excuse. And it's the same thing with Samson. So God, you took his lust, took his foolishness, and used them for God's own end. But on the other end, when we're talking about societal norms or things that are against the grain, will God push us and compel us to do that? Yes. Because society has standards that does not come from the nature of God and who God is. Jesus did it quite often. And he intentionally did it. Like I said, when he healed a man in the temple on the Sabbath day, 
the, the way the story reads, it seemed like Jesus had this thing planned out to do it a certain way. So he made this man to do something that he knew that they would call work so that just so he can buck against their societal norms, just so that he can break against their system. So there are times where God will call us to go beyond or go outside of what may seem safe to fulfill a task or to accomplish something. Yes. And that's the spirit of God. But how we tread and how we move forward is we, we, we do it in the spirit of God or with the spirit of God. So once God begins you, if all he gives you is just a stir, right, some got to be done. I want to do something about these people. Then you can go to him like, what do I need to do? What can I do? And he might just give you one little thing for one little person. But you have to be willing to do it. And in following that one little thing for that one little person, as you begin obedient, he'll open up the door to give you more things and more ideas and see how this connects to all people. But it might be something that may seem insignificant or small. Or it may be something that everybody around you will tell you, you don't need to be doing that. This ain't how we do things. But we follow God and our people. And John and Jesus told us that the Spirit of God moves how we listen, and you cannot discern whether it's going. It's not bound in. It's not boxed in. Yeah, so will he call you to do some crazy stuff? Yes, he will call you to do some crazy stuff. Will he call you to do some stuff to make you look weird? Yeah. He told, uh, who was that, Ezekiel? Isaiah, to lay on your side for seven, <laughs> seven days. He told, to make dung cakes. <laughs> so you been out there helping praying for or whatever it is God gives you for the mentally ill and the poor, that don't compare nothing to making doo-doo cakes <laughs> for the purpose of prophecy. Told Isaiah to walk around naked. <laughs> that was against a societal norm right there. Yeah, so yeah, God might call you to do that. And it might call you to go against the grain of education. They're going to tell you ain't nothing you can do for them. They might set up in and God might tell you, okay, he like this because he filled with pride. If you preach repentance from pride to you, he going to hear you and you will deliver him. His mind will come back to him. He might just tell you, go sit next to him and read the Bible. Take him some bread, take him some water, just sit down and just have Bible reading time. So other folks that might be stupid, that dumb, you're putting yourself in danger and jeopardy, but if God leads you, he'll organize it, he'll prepare it. And he give you vision on what it'll be. He might not give you the full picture, but he give you what you need to do. It makes sense. You got another question? That was Hosea. Yeah. Yeah. But even with something like the Hosea story, he really didn't break a rule. He, it was more of a societal norm. Because what God called him to do was to take this woman from prostitution, bring her into his home, and make him his, his wife. But the problem was God told him she's going to go back. <laughs> so did that make him look bad? Yes. you the prophet of God. you pre preaching righteousness. you calling us to repentance. Dude, I just had your wife the other night. You need to go home and preach to her. So stuff like that happens, and God calls us stuff like that. To stuff that may seem crazy, may seem outlandish, especially in our day and our time. Uh, this is a verse my wife always hear me call it, when especially we're talking about intersocial stuff. 
is that we live in the days that's fulfilling of Matthew 24 when he said the hearts of many shall grow cold because iniquity abound. So now the smallest things seem crazy to us. You stopping to give a man on the side of the street a ride. It's like outlandish nowadays. Like, man, you don't be picking up people in the street, man. He could have a knife. <laughs> Stuff like that don't seem quite right anymore. But will God cause you to do that? Yeah. You get what I'm saying? So cultural creates the oddity of what we are. But yeah, that don't. Will God called you to sin and, and, and indulge yourself in something that will destroy yourself, your family, and all that type of foolishness? No. I, I don't care what, what it is. Like, the Lord told me I need to divorce my husband. No. <laughs> he did not tell you that. Because that's not God. So the Spirit of God says the same thing all the time, but it moves at will in different cultures and contexts in different times. Where's the passage with the seven spirits? That's Isaiah 11. Yes, Isaiah 11. One and two. Yeah. The other one is, the other question is, there's, I guess you, the, the practical aspect of Essentially, spirit comes upon in with forevermore to accomplish whatever. How does one make themselves available to the spirit of God to ensure that those things that you're walking in that position? You try and cheat. <laughs> Do that when we move to the New Testament. But a couple of I things that. You know not. <laughs> A couple of things that we see in the scripture, two of them we talked about last week. One, it was in Galatians when he talks about we receive the spirit of the promise through faith. So the foundation is us believing that what the spirit is and what he can do can be accomplished in us. And that's the toughest thing. Is to just, just to truly, just truly trust in that. And that trust shows itself in the abandoning of our thoughts and ideas that may be contrary. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like if the spirit says that he gonna use Justin to educate millions. And he's going to give you wisdom that goes beyond anything everybody ever seen. And he's going to give you understanding into the human mind and the human psyche that opens up the key of education for children and ages, whatever, to whatever. The hard thing for you to do would be to believe that that is true. And to trust that he can do it. And it may be in within means that don't make sense or that is contrary to traditional training and education. You, you get what I'm saying? Because you may get an idea, a thought, after you get this desire that say, okay, when you're teaching seven-year-olds, you need to do such and such and such and such. But then when you study it, all research says do the exact opposite. So that willingness of yourself to say, 
I believe God spoke to me and I believe this is what God want me to do. So I'm going to do it this way and I'm going to develop my craft this way. I'm going to teach my children this way. That opens it up. It is just that beginning of trusting the spirit of God and that he's in me. He's speaking to me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. And that when he directs me, his way is the best way. That's the foundation of it. And like I said, we talked about last week about the Luke 11, that God knows how to give good gifts to them who ask him. So that when we get these desires, when we get these thoughts, we get these ideas that are nothing more than shakings or promptings that we can go to God and we can ask him for. it, And that he hear our prayers and he hear our cry. So between the asking, the seeking and the trusting, which is connected with obeying, that's how you make yourself open to it. And what we're going to talk about a little deeper is that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So the word of God is the thing that the spirit utilizes to accomplish his task. I didn't say that. Most people think that to mean that the spiritual sword is the word. Like I use the sword to defeat my foes. But now it says the spirit sword or the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So it is what the spirit utilizes in me. It is how he leads me. It's how he speaks to me. It's how he give me wisdom and understanding and ideas. It's through his word. So once you bring all that together. As I'm seeking God in his word, I'm trusting God that when he gives me a thought, when he gives me an idea, I'm willing to step out and try it. That opens you up more to the power of God and the working of the spirit. That he that is faithful upon small things, I shall give him to be servant, a ruler over many. So a lot of times the spirit of God just starts with an idea. It's like he did Abraham. All he started with was go. He had no promises. And of all that other stuff, all he started with was go. Then as Abraham go, the promise unfolded and got deeper and deeper and deeper. And it caused him to trust more and more. But it started just with the thought of go. That's all he got. When he called Paul, he said, I'm separating you to go to the Gentile. That's all Paul got. Then as he went, God opened up more to him about taking the gospel to Rome. And there were certain times where Paul would go on places and his spirit forbade him. I stopped him. He just turned around and go the other way. But Paul got that one word and he went on fire with it. I'm separating you to the Gentile. That's all he had. And so as he went and as he was moving, God unfolded and gave him what he needed to fulfill the task. But it started with him just being obedient to that one little thing. Go. That answer your question a little bit. <laughs> okay. How do you know it's the Lord? I mean, how do you know that distinction or, you know what I mean? Like, that contrary thought, especially when uh, we, we hinted on this a little bit too, but there's two aspects to it. One, you understand the nature of God, and that's why we're spending so much time talking about just God, because as you understand the nature of God, you begin, you begin to know his desire and what it is that he seeks and what it is that he longs for. It's like, it's certain things I can say to you, and I can say, Justin said, and you can be like, nope, Justin ain't say that. Because you know certain things he won't say, and you know certain things the way that he expressed certain things, because you've been talking to him for so long. So if he say, if I say he said this, this, and that, and it sounds completely different from everything Justin ever said and the stuff that you know he says and how he speaks, you know he didn't say that. And at best, if it seemed close, you can go back to him and like, <clears throat> Did you say, 
And you're like, I ain't think you said that. And it's because you're familiar with him. You're familiar with his nature. You're familiar with the way that he works. And it works the same with God. So once we understand his nature, and once we understand his desires, his longing, it helps us see clearly. Because God never works inconsistently with who he is. And the devil always works in a way that brings separation between you and the nature of God. So he's going to want you to do something that ain't quite in line with what God would desire. But what he ain't going to do is want you to do something the way God wants you to do it for the reasons God wants you to do it. So if you get a thought that's the whole purpose of it is compassion, love, sacrifice and devotion to another or the exaltation of Jesus. Chances are God is moving you to do it. Because the devil don't want to exalt Jesus. The devil don't want you to be humble. He don't want you to sacrifice. If he wants you to sacrifice, it's going to be for pride. Puffed up is how he's going to get you to do it. But when all that is in you is just compassion, love, sympathy, concern. for This is this is the nature of God. So this is the compelling of God. So do I have to know 100% and hear the audible voice? No. Because I know God. And I have freedom in God to work as a servant of God. So if I get something that I want to do that's based off compassion, based off love, based off the benefit of other people in the glory of God, God gives me freedom to do so. And the other part is trust and obedience. That I believe that the Spirit of God is in me. So if I get that idea of love, compassion, whatever it is, I just believe that God is in me. And so I'm operating out of faith in God. I don't have to sit back and parse it. I don't have to sit back and go through all these routines through our mind. Because what will happen is once you begin to think about it and digest it, you end up talking yourself out of it anyway. And you're going to find a reason why you shouldn't do it. But if you have that ability to what the thought comes or you know what it is that God wants you to do and you just go and do it, you just believe that God is in me. And I believe I have the spirit of God. So I believe God is leading me. So it's you get a thought. We need to have a family time where we just walk around the block. <laughs> That's all we can do. You have freedom in that to believe that the Spirit of God is leading me to train up my children. The Spirit of God is in me to serve my family and to build my household. So if I got this idea, chances are God helping me some way to build my household as a faithful wife and a servant and supporter of my husband. And that might be all you get. Now, as you go on, y'all might start singing a song or praying. Or you might start see something that leads you to do something. Or it might just be a break for your husband. <laughs> and you just blessed him. Because he came home and y'all were walking around the block. And he just was able to fall out in a quiet house. And he refreshed and ready to fix all that stuff you told him to fix. <laughs> just because God gave you the idea to walk around the block. <laughs> but. You, you get what I'm saying? That you can trust that the Spirit of God is in you and you have freedom to move and to do knowing that I got the Spirit of God and I got wisdom and understanding. You don't have to be super rigid. Any other questions? Go ahead. What is the day of Pentecost? The day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a festival that God set up for the Jewish people. So the day of Pentecost was the day of this celebration. Time. It was after the um, Passover, 
50 days after Passover. That's why they call Pentecost. It's like Pentateuch means what? There you go. It was Pentecost because it's 50 days after the Passover. And it's the time they had a celebration where they brought all these grains and they did all these stuff. But on this day is when the Spirit of God was poured out upon his apostles and disciples. So now when we refer to the day of Pentecost, that's what we're talking about, when the Spirit of God coming. But originally it was just a festival. Did Solomon have the Spirit of God? Did Solomon have the Spirit of God? Yes, Solomon was given the Spirit of God in wisdom. He prayed to God, and God gave him the Spirit of wisdom, which is a part of the Spirit of God. Is the Spirit of God wise, or does it make us wise? Is the Spirit of God wise, or does it make us wise? Both. It makes us wise because he is wise, and all wisdom, knowledge, understanding comes from God. So why did God tell Samson not to cut his hair when the Spirit of God was his strength? Because he was devoted to God. In the Old Testament or in the law, there was this vow that people took called the vow of a Nazarite. And so he was one of those Nazarites. It's the people who are supposed to dedicate their God, themselves to God or work in the service in an extreme way that's different from everybody else. So not cutting your hair was a part of that vow. Since the Spirit of God is a person, why can't we see him, and how does a person live inside of us? That's pretty deep. You're getting super deep. So since the Spirit of God is a person, why can't we see them? Because person doesn't mean corporal or, or, or bodily. Person is the expressions of the nature, the character of the individual. You understand what I'm saying? Just like you could take twins, identical twins. They made from the same substance. They split off from the same egg. But they develop, they can develop two different personalities. Because the person is what is what's within, not the, the formation of the character. I mean, the formation of the body. You get what I'm saying? It was the thoughts, the ideas, the, the character, the way they relate. All of those things are person. So the spirit of God is a spiritual person. He's a non-corporal person. He don't have a body. So that's why we can't see him because he's spiritual. But he is a person. So how can another person live inside another person? We watched a video about that last night. It's a person. And it was a whole other person that lives inside another person. And that person has his own DNA. That person has his own blood. That person grows and develops completely independent in the sense of their nature, uh, their character is not dependent upon the mother's nature and character. It's a whole nother person. Mother can be laid back and cool while the baby can be in there excited and jump around and kicking and flicking, he can flip like you used to be. But how the Spirit of God will lives in us as a person, another person, is he takes all of his personality, his wisdom, his love, his compassion, his strength, his might, and he puts that inside of us. So that's how he, he lives in us, is through his character being placed within us. You understand what I'm saying? So he takes the personality that he has and he put it inside of you. 
He give you wisdom. He give you might. He give you strength. He give you love. He give you joy because all of that is his personality. And he just put that inside of you. So he don't ball up like that baby we were watching last night and crawl up inside of you. No, he takes his person, his, his nature, his character and puts that inside of you. So you act like he act. You think like he think. You respond the way he responds because his nature is inside of you. Make sense? All right. Any other questions? Y'all, you are.